Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For over 20 years, Dr. James Maxwell and his team at Crestwood Dental have been providing quality care to patients of all ages. They offer a variety of services from cleanings to cosmetic dentistry and restorations with today's most advanced technology, including the most up-to-date lasers, digital x-rays, and impressions. They offer Invisalign and custom aligners with their 3D printer. Crestwood Dental accepts most insurance plans and a membership program for uninsured patients. Schedule today at 314-463-5655 or Crestwood dental.com This is the Last Minute Blues Podcast with Jeff Burton, Donnie Fandango, and former Blues defenseman, Jamie Rivers. It is the Last Minute Blues Podcast. Donnie, Jeff, Jamie. Look at that. See, I shortened it up Just, a little bit. I mean, I'm I trying to mix what, things up, man. I don't yeah, know what I'm going to do with all the extra time. I, I was putting so much pressure on myself at the beginning. Were. We just had you to get were. right That's to you. it. But Jeff, that who? is you. Too. <laughs> Where does he work? Right. Where is he from? All, all right. Jeff and Donnie from The Point. <laughs> Jamie, former Blues defenseman and team member over at 101 ESPN. Guys, before we talk any hockey whatsoever, uh, I, I, I've got something uh, that, I, that I need to ask both of you. Okay. How do you know if you broke a toe? And then, oh, no. and then the the follow up to that is, even if the toe is broken, can they do anything for you? Well, you know the toe doesn't go unbroken. You know that, right? If it feels like it's broken, it's probably broken. I'm gonna tell you something right now. I've broken like seven toes. I and that is one of the reasons in which that we are talking about. <laughs> you should this see my all, left foot. It's all, a lobster claw. All oh, all man. of them yours. I'm assuming. Well, a few others too, but yeah, no, my um, I've taken a few slap shots right off the toe cap, and it like smashed my toes in, Ooh. and so they broke and they spread open like like picture like a lobster claw, you know? Oh. Yeah. And then there's nothing you can do. It's painful, and you take them and you try to tape them together or tape them to a a non injured toe so that you get through it. But mine healed wrong, and it's. it's Are you actually, all Steven Tyler down there? Is that what you're saying? He's got messed up feet. From what well, I, I don't have like they're not ugly. It's just that you look at it and go, that doesn't. Look, that's right. Not, that's not right. That, why that belongs it, in a hockey boot. Why are those toes going the wrong direction? <laughs> is he is he headed that way? No, he's not. No, it's his toes. Well, no, no more foot modeling. What happened? What, this is going to no, be some the, people like it, Jeff. Yeah, that's yeah true. this is going to be the only that. place that I tell the official, one hundred percent story, honest story like about the what real happened. behind the scenes. Okay. We'll edit it out. All right. No, no, you don't have to. But yeah, I'm just counting on Mary not listening to this particular podcast. Oh, wow! So I was going. I was going to to vacuum. Stop it! I was going to vacuum upstairs. Okay, no big deal. So I get the vacuum out, and right in front of me, about three feet away, is our cat who I hate. Okay, I don't like Jazzy at all. All right, and so sometimes for fun, when I'm vacuuming, Mm -hmm. 
Mm. I chased the cat around the living room. <laughs> so, <laughs> dudes, I uh. went to start to chase the cat with the vacuum. And I mean, I crushed my pinky toe on the corner of the wall. Mm. And holy smokes, I was cussing and laughing at the same time. And and it was it, it was like it hurt last night, but then when I got up this morning, boys, we are a lovely shade of green and blue oh, down there. Oh yeah, man. you're done. And and putting this and putting this son of a bitch on, like, because these aren't my Especially regular shoes. That into I, those high heels. Yeah, <laughs> that you. is rough. <laughs> Although, by the way, the red looks amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Sir. I didn't think open toe was okay this time. <laughs> no, of year. it's fine. You know what, Donnie does whatever Donnie wants to do. You guys are douches, man. My freaking <laughs> foot hurts. I think I broke my toe. Earlier, he I was in the, in the studio <laughs> with him, and he's hobbling around I'm like, what? Ha-? He goes, just wait for it. <laughs> Dude. I'm going to talk about it on the show. And I wish what did Jazzy I- think of all this? Did Jazzy, Jazzy come over and laughing. just mark a spot right on your back yeah, as what, you're laying there? What does a cat she, laugh sound like? Because I'm sure Jazzy she, was all... She always does. She's got yeah. this smirk when it comes to They me. do that, like that little crap-eaten grin. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very much It's very much that. And it just, it, it was, it was I, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. I thought I would get up this morning, it'd be a little sore, whatever. Holy smokes, man. Yeah, we you have, are limping. We have got some, we got something not great cooking yeah. down here, man. There's nothing they can do. Tape it to the toe beside it. Yeah. And basically, you just got to muscle through it. You got to like, ride like it a out. broken finger, only you're walking on it. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, well, with broken fingers, depending on how bad it is, they can set it in a splint, you know, and get a splint for both fingers so yeah. that your your weak finger gets operated by the strong thing you can't really do that with a foot yeah so uh basically what we say is uh good luck yeah, yeah. Good luck, <laughs> right right it's outdoor rink season too man what a it bummer is. for you that's yeah it's, it is it's such a bummer with how much i get out there <laughs> hey hey but you know what before we talk about blues uh specifically we did have a couple of emails last week and i thought that it might be an all right way to uh to start the festivities Wait a minute. today so we give out the email address and people address us through emails. It's huh? amazing, but we gave out the right one this time. Yeah, right? the right one, and, <laughs> okay. and that and that certainly helps. It's lmbp at one zero five seven thepoint dot com. Lmbp last minute blues podcast at one zero five seven thepoint dot com. This one coming from uh, Thomas. He says, "Hey guys, never played the game of hockey besides the middle of the street thirty years ago or so. I have a couple of general questions for Jamie. Number one, how are line changes made?" Do the coaches tell the players individually? Do they tell one player and he tells his line mates? What's the process like? So why don't you answer that one and then we'll go to number two. Okay. Uh, line changes, the coach, generally you you have a line change, right? That's the whole line. So the coach will say, like, if it's O'Reilly, okay, and his line right now is Barbashev and David Perron, he'd be like, O'Reilly's line up next. And then the player's duty at that point is to call out who they've got so that we don't have those – those silly too many really? men penalties. So even in the oh. NHL, it's like if I'm on O'Reilly's line, O'Reilly would be like, okay, I'm going to grab Shen. Yeah. Really? It's communication, wow. Jeff. And then Perron says, I've got Cairo. And, right. And even then as a coach, like I go back and I buzz the tower again. I'm like, I'll come back and say, you guys know who you got, right? And like, yep, we know who we got. So the communication is like rock solid. This is why it's confusing sometimes when the Blues get too many men penalties and how come they get so many is because it's, this is a three-step verification process. Um, but, yeah, the coach will say, O'Reilly's line up next, uh, on deck, on deck, Sunquist, your line, which means get ready because you're going following the O'Reilly line. And, and and it's like get ready because we're talking in mere minutes because the shifts, oh, shifts are minute a minute and a half. And a half. You'll so, go through two huh. different line changes. Now, the one thing, too, just before is – You'll sometimes with line matchups, especially when you're on the road, 
um, you'll say, O'Reilly line up next. Know who you've got. You'll say, Sonny, your line, be ready, though. Because if the other team puts a line on the ice that you want to match up, mm. you'll go scratch that. Sonny's line's going. Know who you've got right now. Okay, so the opposite end of that is as if I'm out on the ice, is it generally known when I need to get off the ice, or is the bench yelling as I'm flying nah, by, get off, get off? If the bench is yelling then you're a moron. You shouldn't be in the NHL. <laughs> like, seriously. Like, well, those two things are true. I should not be in the NHL, <laughs> and, and I am a moron. moron. Yeah. So it you is are ac- honest. So That's it positive. is accurate. Accurate. It is accurate. No, but you know, like, you've been out there for a bit. Usually, depending on where you start your shift, if you start in a defensive zone and you go down and you end up back in your zone, the next time up the ice, you're getting the puck in, you're getting off. Okay, that's like, what I thought, yeah. It ranges from 35 to 55 seconds, depending on the situation. You usually want to keep the weak side wing and weak side D on the ice to change last, which is the guys farthest away from the bench, because teams will have structured breakouts to when you know a team is changing, goalie will skate out, move the puck up the ice quickly and try to catch you for a breakaway. I'm still laughing about him calling himself a moron. <laughs> I'm sorry. It might be one of the only times he's been honest. <laughs> hey, hey, we're in the trust, um, we're and then, the trust tree here. And then the defense, same thing. You know, talk about the pairings and, and they got to pick it up. And then usually if I'm on D, I want to know who's going up front so that I'm aware of who's coming off the bench, where, who I'm going to play with, what the strategy is, who they're matched up against, because you usually know who everybody's playing against. There's a lot of stuff that goes on. Yeah, I bet. All right, question number two from Thomas. Growing up in Canada, I assume Jamie has played plenty of outdoor hockey. What are some of the biggest differences for playing uh, indoors versus outdoors? And then he goes on to say, thank you, I'm loving what you guys are doing. And that's from uh, Thomas. Well, I know the glare would be one. Uh, A little bit. You get used to it. I don't really worry about that. But uh, the snow... Uh, that's a big difference. You don't really have the uh, the snow blowing through in the middle of a game at Enterprise. Uh, so that's one thing. The ice is harder. It's a different fabrication because, you know, there's chemicals in the ice indoors that they use specifically to keep it at a certain temperature to keep it because the ice indoors is very, very thin. It's about an inch thick, maybe maximum. Outdoors, you're watering that sucker every night, and that, that could be, you know, 10 inches thick of hard ice, and it's just a different feeling. To it, So your skates, usually when you skate outside, you're going to want to have your skates sharpened after that just to kind of recalibrate it because it'll be a different feel when you go back inside. So that to me, that's the biggest difference is thought about that the feel of the ice. Now, now, didn't you say that your dad had made a rink for you oh, and your yeah. brother in the backyard? Yeah. So then... So he then made how- a whole walkway from our... We lived in this little, I mean, little low-income subdivision, whatever... And so we had to, you know, the houses are side by side, like you're stuck together. You have one house, but there's two houses. I don't know what you call that. Duplex? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so that multi-family was. Multi-family flat. Yeah, whatever, sure. right? And so we had the, the door that would go down the stairs, and then we would be closest to the backyard. So my dad would clean off the stairs, and he'd have little rubber pieces, and then he'd water the whole walkway all the way back to the rink. So you come off those scare, those stairs and you'd skate your way back out onto the rink in the backyard. That's wow. Like so, Mystery Alaska when they're like so skating great. to the rink. That is awesome. So wait, <laughs> so like, so then does your, so then how do you ice, you re-ice that? Do you just water it and then yeah. it refreezes? Yeah, you got to have a, a like a, a rubber hose. If you have one of those plastic ones or any other material, they freeze, they crack, they break. So the key to it is it starts inside the house. You have to have the water shut off because it's so cold outside, it'll break the pipes if you leave it on. So if you're going to water the outdoor rink, you have to go outside, screw on the hose, 
get it out to where you need it to be, go back inside, turn on the main valve, the water comes out, and you just water it slowly, and it just builds up. And usually it, has, it builds up a little bit of a layer on the sides, and you make sure you push it up tight with that. So it, As it's freezing, you mean? Yeah, wow. so that it creates this little, like, we called it like the little boards, the yellow piece of the boards, you know, at the bottom. Yeah. And so the pucks would be able to bounce off of that. Dude, how cool Man, is that? A lot less scientific and a probably real crappy compared to that. When I was growing up, my neighbors up the street, the Eilermans, had an outdoor basketball court that was cement and railroad ties and, and a you know a chain link fence. And it was full size. Why? I don't know because nobody played basketball. <laughs> I, like, I, and I mean the kid, the two guys, that the Greg and, uh, and Brad that lived there didn't play basketball. So what did we do? Filled it with water, and we had an outdoor rink several times. That's cool. It was great, and it was. I didn't have to worry about you know the the hose from the outside because it was St. Louis, Fenton, Missouri. But man, the handful of times we did it, it was a blast. It was the best time ever until they got their water bill a couple of times. Yeah, they got a little pissed. We about did the it. same thing, so but it wasn't much that fun. much. No, um, but I'm sure it's a lot more prevalent in Canada too than in Fenton, Missouri. You yeah, know what I mean? good point. It That's, wasn't very big either. Like I, I wish we could. Take a look at the size of this studio. It was just about the size of this studio, maybe a little bit bigger. And we would get like five or six kids back there That's playing. Funny. Like again, and there's nowhere to go, right? So what's funny is now with the skill development side that I teach, a lot of it is small area games, right? Why? Because you're forced to use your skills. You can't just outskate somebody. So you have to learn how to stick handle in you know tight quarters. So growing up, I look back at that and I'm like, oh my God, for... 10 years plus, I was playing small area games against kids that were four or five years older than me, my brothers, friends, and and we were getting after. I'm like, no wonder. Yeah, no wonder you yeah. made it to the NHL. No wonder we did so well because we were forced to get better or, or be made fun of. And yeah. now you're using what your dad did in your own. Yeah, That's now great. fast forward to where we are today, and I'm recreating these games for kids on the ice, and it's part of it's. We call it skill development. Now. Man, that's, that's awesome! Cool. All right, uh, another email here. This one from Logan. <clears throat> Excuse me. He says, "Love the podcast. Been listening to every episode. I love learning uh, more about hockey with you guys, and I feel like I've started looking for some of those smaller things that are mentioned by Jamie during games: pinching defensemen, puck redirection, and whatnot. Just wanted to say this is great. I got a chance to talk with Jamie for about thirty seconds during the Stanley Cup parade in twenty nineteen. Uh, when I mentioned the podcast, from listening to older episodes, Jamie may not remember talking to me at that point. He mentioned having a few beers by that time he reached me on the arch grounds. Oh, yeah. Oh, on yeah. the arch grounds? Yeah, so you were well in, right? Yeah, I yeah. could legally. You said you didn't even remember being on the arch grounds. Come on. I, I could legally pass a lie detector test right now, and I could tell you that I was never there. <laughs> and it would it would register as I'm not lying. you believe Because I have no idea. He says, uh, I have an awesome sister-in-law that took pictures uh, while I got uh, to enjoy the moment. Just got to say, loved being able to chat with him and to see a Blues fans. He had nothing but good things to say about you guys. One question oh, I had was for Jamie involving... <laughs> I remember that part. You that's were wrong. <laughs> uh, 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 one question I had for Jamie involving advanced analytics. I was curious if he was aware of how much weight NHL coaches front offices put on those stats or if they're looking at them for player value at all. I haven't gotten too far into them, but I follow a lot of pages that do talk about them, so I was curious. I uh, love all the inputs on the show. Mondays and Thursdays are always a little brighter when I get to listen to the podcast. Keep up the great work. If you can't get to my questions, no big. I just appreciate being able to listen to you guys twice a week. I don't understand his question. Okay, well, there's there's a whole slew of analytics now that the NHL can use. So like baseball, right? Think about baseball. 
How many stats are there? Oh, yeah. It's stupid. It's right? almost been analy- analytic t- to death, if yeah. that's, a, Correct. If that's yeah. a phrase. Well, some people in the NHL are trying to do that, replicate that model because of Billy Bean and, you know, that movie. What the heck? Moneyball. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Now they're like, oh, let's put a team together with value because there's a salary cap and maybe there's more players out there that are good, that are cheaper, that whole thing. Now, here's the thing. A couple of teams have tried that model. They failed miserably. Florida Panthers went through three coaches. Now they're with Joel Quenville. Guess what? Analytics aren't at the top of his list. Sure. The Arizona Coyotes went through a whole transition. They hired a 24-year-old GM, and he was the whiz kid, and he really is. Analytically, he is. He's up there. Him and his sister are incredible, which, by the way, Megan Cheka, she's incredible at what she does. She has a company called Statletes. And I talk to her frequently to get some of the the analytics behind goaltenders to find out their tendencies and things like that. Anyways, Arizona didn't do very good with it. Now, the way to do it is to further the story, right? And this is what I mean by that. You have the eye test. You have coaches, GMs, and scouts for a reason. This guy's a player. He's playing well right now. He's getting so many chances, this, that. Why? Now we dive into the analytics. Oh, okay. Well, the analytics that show me this, now I understand why this is happening. Mm -hmm. And then same with defensively, if there's things that are going on. The analytics should never be the story. They should be able to support the argument. And that's usually how it works because the numbers don't lie. But what the numbers don't tell you is the amount of grit a guy has for blocking a shot like Oscar Sundquist, blocking two shots, crawling over across the ice and blocking another shot. It shows up as three block shots. Right. But it doesn't tell you. The eye test tells you that's a damn warrior. That's the guy I want on my team. Sure. Now, so, is- so it's ingredients is what it is. Yeah. I, like I say, it's a good it's a good reference point. I don't know how to describe it more than it, it, it's like, you know, the answer, but you just want confirmation. That type of thing there. So I like analytics. And if my team is struggling, not just an individual, if my team is struggling, and I can tell we feel disconnected. We hear that a lot. Okay, let's check the analytics. Let's see how we're doing. How's our defensive zone time? How much time are we spending in the neutral zone? How much offensive possession time are we getting? The numbers will help point you in the right direction as to where you should be looking to do things. But never do I feel like the numbers should be the first thing you look at and then Look at your players and do the eye test. We'll talk about this when it comes to the Blues. How, how do how do the Blues lose? Or sorry, use analytics. I Craig Berube and Rick Tockett now too. Arizona Coyotes a tremendous amount of respect. All the guys. Look at John Tortorella in Columbus. Not everybody's favorite cup of tea, but uh, you know Joel Quenville. If you look at the successful coaches, they use the analytics as an extra add-on. And Craig Berube. His style is just that. I'm not in the locker room every day, but I do know from talking to Chief and talking to other guys around the organization and the the video coach, Sean Farrell, who's very much involved in all that stuff, that the analytics will support the argument. And that's it. And if the analytics don't match what's going on in the S, because sometimes you're winning hockey games and you're outplaying the opposition, but the analytics don't necessarily jive you're like this is weird right Mm -hmm. oh this is not computing what should we do now (laughs) now that's why you take them as a a side note on everything so yeah everybody's using them in some capacity they do tell a story certainly the numbers again the numbers don't lie they tell 
a story, but they don't tell the story. They, they, we just have to keep it so that it doesn't take the sport out of the sport like it's currently right. doing in baseball. And I think that I think the way Jamie is saying most people do it or, or should do it, you are keeping the sport in, in the sport. Absolutely think, yeah. so. And, and you got there's no yeah, reason to think not- about Pat Maroon. For a second, okay? I just, okay. for whatever reason, I just blacked out and thought about Pat Maroon. <laughs> it has nothing to do with alcohol. It's actually coffee, I think. <laughs> Anyways, um, Pat Maroon is analytics. Probably he's not, not an anal- He's not an analytics darling. Two cups, back to back. Right. Yeah. You talk to anybody in Tampa, and they'll tell you that he was a huge part of that team getting across the finish line. But the analytics, he's not an analytics darling. So tell me how that works. It's because John Cooper has done a great job of separating the two, realizing that there's certain analytics that don't lie. So we don't maybe put Patty in these types of situations, but I know what I'm going to get out of Pat Maroon. I don't care what the analytics say. When it comes time for the playoffs, this guy's a gamer. Right. right. Uh, I was reading an article from uh, I was on STL Today, I believe Tom Timmerman, so I want to give him credit. And speaking of analytics, uh, one of the things that they discussed there was whether whether or not Hoffman is being used correctly. And they mentioned third line, sparse on the power play. Is he being used correctly right now? I think he is. Here's the thing with with Mike Hoffman, and I tried to use this as a comparison uh, yesterday on the fast lane, and the guys kind of gave it to me, and I understand why. But I was trying to use someone, a player that would be here in the past that people could identify. So I used Brett Hull, okay? Very loose, comparison nothing to do with his ability to score goals or how great he is a hockey player the style of play there's many games where you didn't even know brad hall was on the ice and all of a sudden boom, it was a goal you're like oh oh yeah, okay that's mike hoffman he's not he's going to get there but he's a guy that you look and you don't even know if he's had a shift in the period and then all of a sudden he's got five shots on net and, and it's just a different style he's not a he's not a four check guy uh, he's not a heavy along the walls guy. He's uh, I'm going to get lost in traffic. I'm going to find my quiet area, and it's up to my line mates to get me the puck. But when they do, I'm going to fire this thing. Oh, you and, did just describe Brett Hall. That is for sure. I mean, you did. That's that's what it is. Now Brett Hall was superior in every category to Mike Hoffman, and he had a guy called Adam Oates that helped him out along the way too. Then he had Craig Janney and then Pierre Turgeon. Some good players. Mike Hoffman has that luxury too. He started with Robert Thomas, who is a fantastic hockey player, and, and he's moved on. He was on the O'Reilly line. That just didn't work out. It looked like, I don't know, looked uh, it didn't look good. Oil and water, basically. Like a mismatch. Mismatch for whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, and now I actually like the line he's on. I think that having Sanford and Sunquist, that are two just retrievers, as I call them, they get mm-hmm. in on the puck, retrieve it, they'll find him. He doesn't have to do all the heavy lifting. He can find those quiet areas and get a shot or two or or five or six, depending on what the night looks like for him. But I think the ultimate, the long-term project with, with Coach Berube is to get him more involved on a regular basis. I think that there's a way to sell him on the idea of the more work you do without the puck, the quicker your team gets the puck back. And I don't think it's a, a negative to Mike Hoffman. He just played this way. That's just the way he plays. He's a shooter. When you guys are done over there, pass over, I'll shoot it. Mm-hmm. Right. But the game that the Blues play, it depends more on five guys being a part of what they're doing to retrieve the puck and keep the puck. And I think that, you know, there's still steps to be made there. 
Uh, Monday night was the last Blues game they lost in the uh, in the shootout, which absolutely sucked in the way in which they, oh. the way that the, it got sent to OT, the whole thing. But the one thing I do want to say before we talk about it is it seems like it was a more consistent and thorough effort throughout the game. It didn't seem like there were big, long stretches where you're like, hey, where did my Blues what go? What are we doing? Yeah. You, know, you know, so so it seems like in that regard – it was positive, but man, these coyotes are a pain in the freaking ass. Yeah, they remind you of yes, yeah. yeah. You're right. You're oh. exactly yeah. right when you Imagine said that, that man. Sure. You're, you're exactly right, and I mean, like it is. It it just it's just frustrating though because I feel like we are a better team than this, and but we're not we're not showing it. It's a test of um, perseverance right now. Okay, and, and it's a compete thing. Doesn't mean the Blues aren't competing; they are, but. I think we mentioned this last podcast. I don't know. We've been playing the Coyotes for a month and a half now, so I can't remember. It all remember. runs together. Right. It all yeah. runs together. Yeah. But I'll say it again in case somebody missed that, that Craig Berube and Rick Tockett are so similar. And not just as coaches, they were as players, too. Tough as nails, worked their asses off every day, and you always got the honest effort from those guys. This is what they demand as coaches. And the biggest thing we look at Craig Berube and say, wow, he's done a great job, is – the compete level, shift in and shift out the Blues identity of that, you know, that control the puck down the wall. We outcompete the opposition. We never, ever get outworked. Arizona Coyotes are getting the same message from Rick Tockett. And now the Coyotes are not as talented overall as the Blues, but right now they're winning a lot of those battles. They're out outworking the Blues in certain areas, and they're not giving up. They're playing a 60-minute game. Obviously, scoring with a second left, they didn't give up. Yeah, and speaking of the uh, outworking, uh, back to that article, uh, they were taught that somebody brought up the fact that do we have too many small defensemen with Dunn and Krug being pushed around in front of the net, or at least not being able to do the same job because of their body, because of their size that others do? Is that going to be a problem? Well, I guess to be determined long term on this one. But yeah, I mean, I've gone over this before, and you've lost Joel Edmondson. Big I realize that's you know that's a while now, and and Jay Bowmeister, you lost him last year, and you lost Alex Petrangelo. Those guys were all six six foot three or taller, and they were all two hundred and fifteen to two hundred and twenty pounds or heavier. It's a big deal. Yeah, that's a big deal. And now you've replaced one of them with Mikola, which is great. Okay, even though he's big, he still has some room to get stronger. He still struggles sometimes with some of the big bad boys. Some uh, kind of chasing the puck a little bit. The chasing the puck, too. and then he kind of gets bumped off at times, and it's it's just because he's still kind of lanky. He's still a young man. He'll get to that man strength soon enough, and when he does, it'll be scary. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Tory Krug, uh, Vince Dunn, and Justin Falk are smaller guys. And Justin Falk does a great job of stepping up at least once a game and ringing somebody's bell, which is great. But when you – when the game is in the trenches, when it's in the corners and along the wall in front of the net, I always think of guys like Pat Maroon. You know, back in my day, it was Keith Kachuk. Stick the big butt out there. They've got great puck skills. You can't get around them. It's it's a game of keep away that you can't win. Now, in, in our day, I would have just slashed him in the back of the legs and dropped him to the ice, and I wouldn't have gotten a penalty. I probably would have been like, oh, that's hockey. Yeah, yeah. You know, now you can't do that. So you're sitting there trying to get the puck away from a guy who – is just physically bigger than you are. And think about it. Pat Maroon, let's just say Vince Dunn is behind him trying to – it's like a bug off a windshield. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have – this is why it's so important to have good defensive structure of the five-man unit because 
there are problems with having smaller players as opposed to bigger players. There's still a big, there's a, still a spot in a big man's game here, you know? And I think that that's where the Blues right now at times, maybe they don't have the, the reinforcement to help out. But yeah, the smaller defensemen, uh, as much as they're more agile, probably quicker and things like that, there are some downsides. Well, to and it. it could be a, another point to another downsides, especially with you know the the packed in games and you having to use the backup goalie a little more. There's a lot more out in front, and that's going to put more you know a lot more bodies out in front. We talked at the beginning of the season, Huso's giving up you know uh, rebounds right in front of the net. If you got a couple of second basemen out there trying to push people around, that's a problem. It is. Um... You know, but this is the hand. You don't have them both out there at the same time. That's for damn sure, right? Well, <laughs> right now you have them out. You do. You have Falk and Krug. Those are guys who are oh, pairing too. Yeah, yeah, right now. Yeah. And uh, look, it, this is the hand you've been dealt. So you got to figure out the best way to maximize it. Ultimately, you'd like to spin it the other way and say, well, we're going to speed them then. Down low, we're going to be on the pucks first. Craig Ruby talks about that all the time. We need to be on the pucks first. Get in there. Get on the puck first. 50-50 battle, get in there. Then the guy behind you backs it up. You know, he's able to fill the void. If you have pressure on the opposition all the time, it is way more difficult to make successful plays when guys are buzzing all the time. And so that's the only remedy that I can think of is that you have to be just a little quicker, a little fresher, maybe shorten the shifts. Man, it was two weeks ago that we were doing this. I think it was about two weeks ago. And honest to God, I came in to do this podcast, and I felt like I should have brought the Stanley Cup with me. Like, I thought that we were just <laughs> knocking on the door just right there. And then now, over the course of the last couple of weeks, I'm watching, and I'm going, I, I still obviously think we're very good. It could do a lot of damage. Yeah. Boy, being a fan, the emotional roller coaster, man, it ain't easy sometimes. It just sucks because it's not Arizona seems like one of those teams that you're supposed to just mark off. Like, yeah, we'll we'll destroy these guys. And no, they're not. No worries, not at all. What's it, weird about the NHL is like Arizona, when they're actually, if they ever get done with the Blues as far as playing them, <laughs> they'll go on to play another team like, let's just say the, the Sharks, and they'll be unsuccessful. For whatever reason, it, it won't work. They just don't match up. And right now, the the Coyotes, their blueprint, it looks an awful lot like the St. Louis Blues blueprint. And so this is a battle of will out there. Uh, that that team is not better than the St. Louis Blues. It is man for man, top to bottom, it is not better. But there's times in the game, important times of the game, where they're outworking the Blues or they're outthinking the Blues. And what I mean by that is timely and untimely penalties and then your success rate in those special teams. And right now, that's a battle they've been winning. Uh, I want to ask about Phoenix, about the franchise itself. You know, there's been so much, you know, back and forth. They've moved in Glendale and blah, blah, blah. What kind of hockey market is that? Is that a good hockey market? And where, what's what's the... What do you think is the remedy there? Yeah. Do they need to be in the city proper, in the count? Like, can you kind of talk about that situation a little bit? It's a mess. Um, yeah, I played there yeah. briefly, and uh, the rink used to be right downtown, and they shared the rink with the Phoenix Suns. Now, the problem with that is it wasn't a hockey rink. It was a basketball stadium. And so half of the, the bottom half of the defensive zone, like the stands were out past it. So people couldn't even see the game. They'd have to watch it on the, the, the big screen. Um, then they had a great deal. They had a great deal in Glendale. They were supposed to build up Glendale. The brand new football stadium is there. It was supposed to be like, okay, this is going to be great. It hasn't been. It's Glendale's kind of on an island by itself, 
it's a destination rather than being somewhere that you go past all the time. Mm-hmm. And so it's okay for Cardinals games as far as their NFL team because that's what you want. It's a destination. Anybody from the surrounding area, they come in, they tailgate, they set up. You get it for one game, and then you go away, right? So it's fine. It's a destination. It's like, okay, we're in the NFL section here. Glendale, this is great. Sure. For hockey, where you have three games a week, maybe four at this mm. point, it's a, it's a big ask. And the traffic, the way it works, it really sucks to get into Glendale. The ultimate thing for the, the Phoenix, now Arizona Coyotes, what they need to do, and they've been trying this, but they screwed up a lot of things. They've been one that's their third ownership in the last 10 years. Oh, boy. Um, wow. The first ownership guaranteed something like a, a long-term lease with the city of Glendale for that rink. And the city of Glendale's like, well, we're not letting you out of it. I don't give, I don't care what you do. I mean, we're getting paid. This is, this is your deal. Sorry. The Coyotes, what they have to do is build a stadium in Scottsdale. Scottsdale is um, full of transplants, for one thing. There's a lot of Canadians and northern, uh, northeast people, northwest people that go down to Scottsdale. It's beautiful. All the great resorts are there, all the golf courses, beautiful shopping, restaurants. Like, it is busy. It's like, wow, this is the spot. You do that, and that's also where the money is. Scottsdale's got a lot of money. People who live there, their their median income is higher than anywhere else in that area. So what do you want to attract? People who have the money. They own all the businesses down there. They own all the big stuff. So you put a stadium or a hockey rink in that area, dude, you're going to sell it out. You're going to sell it out. And you're going to make money. You're going to be back to normal. Problem is they can't get out from under their Glendale lease agreement. Mm. Wow. Mm-mm. They've tried to go bankrupt to go out of it. The NHL had to step in, but then they didn't have a rink. So when you go bankrupt, you break your lease, but where do you go? Oh, so you go bankrupt, you break the lease. The <laughs> yeah, because you can't afford to pay it, right? But so now the lease you don't is, have a place to play. You got, and wow. then the new ownership comes in. Uh, the NHL took over, and they stepped up, and they re-upped with the lease because the Coyotes had nowhere to play. Now, tons of people talk about relocate the team. That's it. Just move them. Move them to Houston because Houston's owner there, the the Rockets owner, uh, Tillman Fertitta, he wants a hockey team so bad. Yeah, Uh, Quebec City in Canada is dying to get a hockey team back, and they have billions, that's right, billions of dollars with investors to do it. But the NHL is really trying to get the Coyotes experiment to work. Hmm. So I would think it would be a destination. Like, if you found the right owner and the right venue, wouldn't that be a destination for players? I love for players. Here, walk with me for a second. I I love to. No, guys. You know what? I can't. Not really walk. My foot hurts. I should have known better. All right. Okay. Well, you said. Uh, Donnie. Yeah. I will carry you. Come, oh, dude. <laughs> when there's only one set of footprints, yep. it's because they'll be Jeff's. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. Never mind. Get back in the room. Now, based upon that, okay, just come with me mentally, spiritually oh, okay. Okay. on this one, okay? Now I understand. Um, I The game day in Arizona when I played there, Phoenix, Wayne Gretzky was the coach, which was fun to begin with, being a former teammate. And I was one of the oldest guys there, so he, we had a lot of dialogue. It was fun. We get to the rink on a game day. So I, I was staying out at the Princess Resort in Scottsdale. Let me tell you, it's no joke. Yeah. Like it is like all like one of those places you're like, 
I have died and gone to heaven. So this is not Russia with the boiler room. <laughs> no. This is like the complete, the polar opposite of it. And they did a great job and they put me up there because when they trade for you, they have 30 days and you're supposed to find a place to live. They let me just stay there for the duration of the season. They were awesome about it. But it was an incredible set, like four pools on site, all this stuff. So I get up in the morning, take the car, go down to the rink for pregame skate. Gretz is old school. 15 minutes on the ice, and we're done. Like, this is just supposed to be to make sure your skates are ready, your sticks are ready. Like, back in the old days, it was sweat out the booze. Mm-hmm. And so Gretz would just be like, okay, get up to what you want. He would get off 15 minutes. That was the, the cue to either leave the ice or stay out there, whatever you want to do. I usually about 20, 25 minutes get off the ice, take your shower, do your thing, um, ice down, anything you needed to do, and I would drive back out to the resort. I go into my room and put on my swim trunks. Hold Sunglasses. on, hold on, hold on. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, tight, uh-huh. high cut in the thigh. Uh-huh. No, not at all. Board shorts. What about the swimsuit? Yeah. Uh, anyway. Get it, Donnie? Just stop. Let okay. the man finish. Sorry. So I'd, <laughs> I'd head out to the pool, and at the pool, I'd order my pregame. So I'm sitting there sunning. Pre-game would come to the side of the pool, and I'd take it over, and I'd eat my pasta, chicken, whatever. I would just lay out for a few more minutes, go inside to my room. AC is cranked right down, nice and cold. Just bundle up, cave it up, close the curtains, sleep like a baby for a couple hours, get up, get a shower, go out, walk, take a little walk of the resort, Mm -hmm. have a coffee, get in the car, go down to the game. I felt like a million bucks. I bet, man. Dude, <laughs> I feel I feel refreshed we, even we hearing that. I was like, what, we bronzed. need to see what your, I was bronzed. Uh, we need to see what your stats were that season. <laughs> hey, I'm just saying they were best. That's the best hockey I played in the NHL. Really? Wow. Between that, between the Red Wings, my first year in Detroit, and the last wow. <laughs> the last Sorry. stint in Phoenix, I was averaging like 22 minutes a game. Damn. I was playing power play, penalty Damn. kill. Yeah, it was it was awesome. And I was like just bronzed too, walking around with this like <laughs> permanent tan, and little speedo tan line smile, probably too. Yeah. So, yeah. Banana hammock. Time. So it's it's possible. I mean, so it's what? it can work down there. It can work in Phoenix. It's there's just a lot of obstacles to to, to get it there. It's been essentially. Unfortunately, the ownership has been up and down, up and down, up and down with that franchise. They've got a bit of a a bad spot for the rink to where it's located and the lease and all this stuff that doesn't really pertain to the on-ice product. Yeah. Um, the good news is for Arizona is they have a fantastic coach. They have a great coaching staff, and that team will continue to get better. So it's going to be a very valuable team for the NHL as far as the on-ice product is concerned. What they do with that is to be determined whether they relocate it, whether they just build another rink. The NHL helps with one in Scottsdale. Either way, that franchise, the franchise, the players, the team is in good shape with Rick Tockett. What you know, I I just always seem to root for Canadian teams, just you know, cause. Yeah. But but what do you? What is it going to take to get a team to Quebec City like you were talking about? Wow. The Nordique sweater man is one of the greatest of all time. Which is but, the reason why he wants a team back. <laughs> Me too. But Super I mean, important. But I mean, I just remember that though because when when I was younger and started watching hockey, Joe, you know, that's where Joe Sakic was, and I loved watching that guy. And so I just always felt like that is a place that for. God's sakes, if Phoenix has a team, then God dang it, Quebec City should have one. It's um, It's been a situation of finances 
And I don't mean, like I said, there's billions of dollars available. There's a corporation up there, Videotron, I think is what they're called. And they are, like, loaded. They could probably buy half of Canada. But the the NHL is apprehensive right now because of the balance in the divisions and in the conferences. And it's twice as much to put a franchise in Canada. It just is because it's a dollar and a half to every dollar. And what I mean by that is if you tried to pay – if you went – Came down to the United States with Canadian currency. It would cost you a dollar fifty, dollar fifty-five, depending on the day, for every dollar to match it to U.S. Yeah. The currency, their financial currency, isn't as strong. The dollar isn't as strong. So, it, all the salaries are paid in U.S. funds because they made that easy across the board. So you're paying if it's a three million dollar contract. You know, do the math. I don't. I'm not smart enough. But you're paying a dollar and a half for every one of those dollars. So. Damn. And then there's the, the taxes involved on your salary taxes for the actual team. It's all to do with off-ice. They, they have a building. They have a brand-new building that's ready to go. They have fans that would be foaming at the mouth to line up down the street to get into that building. Uh, the NHL is holding back right now, I think, because they like the balance that they have. And they are trying to continue to move into markets that aren't necessarily traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that the NHL knows that Quebec City's a, it's a given. It'll sure. work. It will work. When they do that, I don't know. I do think they end up in there at some point. I think it'll be after, like, Houston, though. Do you think oh, it'll be an okay. expansion, or do you think it'll be somebody moving? That I don't know, right, because you've got a couple of teams. Now, Carolina has a billion-dollar owner, too, and they're actually a pretty good team. They don't get very good attendance. but So I don't know how long that model can survive, but that's a team that I could see maybe relocating up north. Uh, the Arizona Coyotes, the, the talk always surrounds that. Right, right? Sure. Where could they go? I think it would be a no-brainer to see them move to Houston. I think you t- keep that franchise in the south, s- somewhat in the same area. Sure, you know. Um, so Quebec, I think Quebec could be an expansion franchise. I think that they'd like that better, so that they could build their own brand, maybe rebuild the Nordiques, maybe rebuild that whole thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, there's, there's possibilities in my opinion, Houston and Quebec city are the next two that are knocking at the door to become NHL franchises. Does, does the lead need to expand? Well, Donnie, it's $750 million per team. Now when they expand to the league, to the owners, oh boy, that they don't have to share with the players. So the owners Damn. being guys that like money and the pandemic and there's some, Gut punches that have happened. So the Seattle Kraken coming in, they're $750 million. That's going to go to a good home. It's going to get spread out over everybody. This is why small market teams are smaller ownership groups um, that maybe don't have the pockets down to their ankles, like the Stillman Group and all that. They, they can continue to survive. They can continue to pay to the cap, which is a huge sacrifice for ownership that doesn't have billions and billions of dollars. And they get some of that money from the expansion team. A very little slice of the pie, but, but nonetheless, it's something that comes in. Four, so four or two. Yeah. If you're looking at the NHL that lost a bunch of money by creating those bubbles up in Canada, the best way to, to get it back is like, okay, you get a team, and you get a team, and you get a team. You know? Two teams yeah. later, that's $1.5 billion. Right? Yeah. Wow. Is that right? Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think, think so. so. We'll trust you, Jeff. I yeah. think that's right. Trust you with numbers. That's, that's about right. it. I would like to see all three of us take a various general math test. Oh, I, I wonder... say various meds and do the show. <laughs> I'm like, I thought we were already doing that. What? Huh.
Sure. All right. Well, here's something that we were going to mention at the start of the show, but we didn't. On Saturday. <laughs> uh, uh, on we're back end of We only talked about it eight minutes before well, the show. Well, it's because Donnie doesn't give us his books anymore. All right. I Why do you not do worked, that anymore? I thought we worked better without the sheet. I know, but I, you know what? You could still have a few things. I feel like you're unprepared. Oh, boy. Oh! Oh, boy. <laughs> Donnie, I disagree. I totally disagree, You're lucky too. he's got a broken toe. He would hey, kick you dude, right Jeff. Now. Jeff texts me, told me to say No, that, that is not true. That dude, is true. I don't, I I don't, don't work, though. Listen, I Show would never, <laughs> for you dudes, I would never purposefully come anywhere unprepared. Please Donnie, know that. it's a joke. Well, I know, but still, I wouldn't want you to Dude, you're that. the only one in here right now that has a page with actual stuff on it. Jeff has something, but I think that's like his order for lunch. Donnie's got, he's so prepared, he's got three condoms in his pocket. <laughs> so, so on Saturday Two of them night. Two already. What? On Saturday night. Jeff and I yes. are going to be doing the pre and post game with Alex Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Wow. Yeah. Exciting. Yep. I, I, I'm, a, I'm afraid, Exciting I'm afraid they're scraping the bottom of the barrel for talent. Oh, but are you kidding <laughs> me? They're on barrel two. <laughs> but we are going to do that. But also, too, you know, as, as we continue uh, to do this podcast, you got questions. Send us those questions. We love going through these. Uh, LMBP uh, at 1057thepoint.com, as in Last Minute Blues podcast at 1057thepoint.com. And we're dropping these Mondays and Thursdays. However, next week, it'll be Tuesday and Thursday for two new episodes of the Last Minute Blues podcast. Donnie Fandango, Jeff Burton from 105.7 The Point, former Blue defenseman and team member at 101 ESPN, Jamie Rivers. It is the Last Minute Blues podcast. As always, let's go Blues. The Last Minute Blues podcast. Hear more at 1057thepoint.com. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music, and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.